Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a relationship expert, executive consultant, and life management coach. Cynthia Hyatt uses her 30 years of experience as a licensed psychotherapist to now offer in-office or concierge services through executive life coaching, consulting, and image management in order to help you be your own best version. Cynthia also specializes in speaking to groups worldwide about how to be successful in relationships, as well as artfully handling life's challenges. She has had many opportunities to present numerous educational seminars and lectures on a variety of motivational, inspirational, and mental health topics around the world. Please take a moment to visit her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's Cynthia, H-I-E-T-T dot com. Her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated for current events, updates, and inspiration during your week, as well as all social media platforms. You can hear this show as a podcast on iTunes and many other podcast services. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Now, with today's fresh insight, here's Cynthia Hyatt. Well, good afternoon. Thank you always for joining me today. And also, I always want to encourage you to let your friends know about the show, your family, because the show really is one of these things that is inspiring, but it's also very educational. And it's education that many of us don't have and don't get. And so I'm, I'm kind of, well, I'm excited about the show today because it's about shame. And shame has a lot of different connotations. People think they understand what shame is or what shame isn't. And I want you to understand that shame in and of, its, in and of itself is a spiritual crisis. Whatever the, whatever the environment that you are experiencing shame in, whatever the people are, whoever they are, it really is what we would call a spiritual crisis. So think about this. It stems from identity. What we think, where we get our identity, where we, where we think we should be, could be, would be always. Many times it's our money, it's our looks, it's who we know, what we own. Shame is so oftentimes a numbers game. So what does that mean? Well, how about the numbers on your bathroom scale? How about the address, the zip code of your home? Obviously your bank accounts how many cars you own, what your wedding ring is worth, your bank accounts, how many, you know, how many credentials you have after your name, and how about social media, right? How many followers you have? The list goes on and on and on. And eventually, we begin to believe in the numbers and believing that they are actually accurate indicators and evidence of our value. See, when this happens, we now become imprisoned. We're prisoners to whatever it is that we are attempting to have, whatever value we think we should have or trying to increase our value. And what I want you to understand is that humans are valuable just because, just because. And one of the ways that we prove this is that we know that even if someone was high on heroin and alcohol and crashed into somebody and is coding, the EMTs don't decide whether or not the person is deserving of help. They just make sure they get them some help. 
So you have to understand that when we are putting our value out there and we are wanting to have something come back to us to feel more valuable, you're usually going to, to lose. And so the more that we believe in this, the more we hide and we cover and lie and fake our way through our life. Because it's kind of like, you know, God forbid anyone knows or finds out who I really am. And so it's a lot of extra effort and it's a lot of stress. And I want you to think about little children and how very without guile they are so many times. They're so cute. They'll run around the house naked, right? They'll do all kinds of things in front of the adults that we don't want them to do. Or teenagers, they say things they're not supposed to say. And so this is part of you recognizing, as we have talked many times before, about that inner child. And so it's your, really your responsibility to take care of that inner child and to recognize that, wow, I'm not going to shame myself. If I messed up, I'm going to take responsibility for it and I'm going to fix it. That's how I fight shame. If I believe shame, it's kind of like a magnet. It will start to pull things into my mind, into my heart about what I've done that is shameful. You shoulda, coulda, woulda. Why did you say this? Why didn't you say that? Why did you dress like that? Why don't you have the right car? Why don't you have the right, you know, credentials? And so this means that what happens is we, we go into this kind of frenzy that we call the one up, one down, or side by side situation. So what does that mean? Well, let's, let's look at a, just a circumstance at work. We have people that really are just rocking it, right? And so they're the one up. And we are one down to the one up. What if maybe I'm really accelerating my career and I'm getting some, you know, kudos for it. Well, maybe I'm now side by side. And so I'm not necessarily one up to the person, but I'm not one down. So maybe I'm actually side by side. Well, there can be a lot of fear and anxiety about keeping that position. So we don't want to continuously put ourselves out there and wanting the world, our families, our friends, our co-workers, whoever it is, our, our bosses, to continue to remind us that we're a really good person. We're an okay person. They're glad that we're here. You see, this is what we do for children because we want them to have courage to put themselves out there. So why really would we be calling shame a spiritual crisis? Well, generally, this concept is addressed as a psychological issue or a dilemma. And that is true. But what's behind this very deep and profound psychological issue? And how do we really deal with it? See, a shame-based reality is a spiritual crisis that develops as a result of emotional and or physical abandonment. So think about the first person, right, on earth, Adam. Adam and Eve were naked until they sinned. And then they covered themselves. So what we want to remind ourselves is that, wow, we naturally know good and bad, evil. We know these things and we feel it in our gut. We feel it, you know, we keep rehearsing it in our mind. We say, why did I say that? Why did I wear this? Why did I look like that? I hope nobody finds out I did this. And so th that crisis of shame 
came with Adam and Eve. As soon as they messed up, they had to cover themselves. And so they used fig leaves, right? And they went to meet with God as they normally do in the middle of the afternoon. And he says, why are you covering? And they said, well, because we're naked. And he says, who told you that? And they say, Satan. And so this is what I want you to think about. This doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to own uh, the wrongdoings that we have or that we've done. It doesn't mean that he's saying it's no big problem, don't worry about it. What he's saying is you're going to mess up, but shaming yourself for it, putting yourself in a one-down position, telling yourself that you don't deserve certain things because of what you've done in your past or what you think about or any of, you know, what you've watched, all these kinds of things you have to say to yourself, I'm not going to shame myself. If I've done something wrong, I'm going to be a healthy person and take care of it. I'm going to fix it. And if I can't fix it, then I'm going to ask for forgiveness. And that's different than me climbing the ladder of success, hoping that I get there and I finally feel good about myself. So shame-based reality is a spiritual crisis. And we believe that it should not exist, that we, you know, something went wrong, and that somehow we're unworthy of love. And as a result, we lose the sense of communion with others because we're hiding some things. We're not just open. And so we lose that, that connectedness with other humans and we lose the connectedness with ourselves, and then we lose that with God as well. And then we become isolated from all the external sources of comfort. And what would those external sources be? Friendships, family, prayer, God. Instead, when we are having that spiritual crisis and we want to feel better, we usually go to things that are very unhealthy. Food, sex, money, right? Anger, all these different things that try to boost up our ego and make us feel better about ourselves. And so when we're struggling with this, when we are accepting shame, we feel tremendous loneliness and we start to not know who we really are. And we begin to doubt our own value. And if the numbers don't measure up, wow, it's a sure thing. So we experience life as having no meaning and no purpose. And we see this in the reference to shame as far back as the second chapter of Genesis. And this is when we know that Adam and Eve wore you know, their authentic selves and there was no shame. There was freedom. And as soon as they betrayed themselves by going outside the bounds, engaging in self-will versus free will, right? against what God has established as safe, that's the value system they agreed to, they were then shame-based and filled with fear. And so when we think about this, this self-will versus free will, I want you to remind yourself that self-will, we've all experienced it, it doesn't matter how old we are, we are still struggling with self-will, that we will do what we want to do when we want to do it, and, we, and people better be okay with it. And that was the fight that Adam and Eve had. They really thought that they could convince God that their way was right. And what did he do? Well, he cast them out of the garden, but he still took care of them. 
And so this is why we have to recognize that if God is saying, this is not good, if it were good, wouldn't I be giving it to you? I've given you everything I can even dream of giving you. And if you're wanting that thing, that one evil thing, there's going to be consequences for it. It doesn't mean that God abandons you. It doesn't mean he stops loving you. It means he's sad. You, you who have children that have messed up, aren't you sad for them? You want to fix it. You want to help them. Well, this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about this issue of shame. Welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Always, I'm so grateful that you have tuned in and that you also share this with your friends and family. I really do appreciate that because this is really one of the ways that we can help ourselves, our friends, our family, be the best version of who we are. And so we're talking today about shame and that shame is a spiritual crisis. Now, I don't know if you've heard definitions of shame, but the easiest way to tell you what shame is, is shame says I'm a bad person, okay? That's what shame says. Shame says I'm a bad person. Morality says I did a bad thing. And that's the difference. See, if I'm living a life of shame, then I'm constantly gauging if I'm a good person. I'm trying, I'm striving, I'm afraid someone's going to find out that I'm a yucky, terrible, bad person. And that's a lot of energy. So when you recognize that shame isn't there to harm us, shame says, hey, red light, I don't think you wanna do that. I think you're gonna be embarrassed. I think you're going too far. It's kind of, you know, like any kind of electronic, you know, apparatus, like our car. You know, if, if we start, you know, the gas light gets low, right, the gas is getting low, well, the light flicks on. And so we say to ourselves, wow, I better find a, you know, a gas station. And so the shame is supposed to be this indicator for you to recognize that I better pull some of this back in. Or I may not be dressed appropriately for this, uh, whatever the environment is. Shame tells me that maybe I let, let someone know a secret that I shouldn't have told them. Shame tells me, wow, are you really saying all those things about that person? Do you know them that well? So shame tells me, hey, that's kind of gossip. That's, that's not good. So when we recognize that shame says to me, I'm a bad person. That's what we want to really change. So we want to say, shame isn't necessarily my enemy. Shame is a warning light. It's saying, hey, that's a bad thing that you're doing. And if you keep doing it, you're going to actually integrate it and be a bad person. So what we want to do with shame is say, okay, it's telling me, I think you better check your moral code. And then the real thing that we want to consider is it's not that I'm a bad person. Maybe I did a bad thing. And that's very different. See, I can be a really good person that did a bad thing. That doesn't make me 
you know, needing to go to jail or something. See, if I'm a good person and I slip or I miss and I do something bad, that doesn't mean I have to wear shame. The shame needs to be worn if I refuse to change. If I refuse to take responsibility for it, the shame will continue. And that's a warning indicator that God placed inside of us because he knows that doing the wrong thing never works right. It never works. We like to think it might. We might, we like to think that maybe, hey, I can fix this somehow or I can kind of go around the boundaries and I can shave a little here, shave a little there, nobody will know. And inevitably, someone finds out or inevitably, we give ourselves up. So think about that. How many times have you exposed yourself and didn't realize that you were doing it? That you told someone, hey, you know, yeah, I did this and this and this and this. And all of a sudden you're like, why am I telling all these people that? What am I doing? So many times we will shame ourselves. Many times we are shamed by the environment. We are shamed by other people. We can get shamed in church. We can get shamed on jobs. We get shamed in our families. And so what we have to think about is, what, what am I going to believe So the more that I believe that I'm a bad person, instead of recognizing that I'm a mistake-making person, the more I'm going to hide, the more I'm going to cover, the more I'm going to fake my way through it. So when we see that shame was this spiritual crisis that happened with the first humans, with Adam and Eve. And so it says here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Genesis 3.10 says, he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So when God was coming to talk to Adam, he knew that he messed up. And so he says, because God can't find him, he says, "Uh, I heard you and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And so God says to us, how did you know you were naked? See, that's a big step. And if you have children, you know that developmental step where all of a sudden they don't want to run around naked. They don't want, they need their diaper. They want to put clothes on. And it's a natural human thing to do. So God gave us free will. And when we use our quote unquote self will to establish quote unquote our way or our freedom, we're going to experience some bondage which is fear and shame. And this is the way of entitlement. This is us being our own God. This is me saying, okay, I'm an adult enough. I know what's right and wrong, so I can make these decisions. And then we find ourselves getting pulled into something, and it was a lot more than we thought it was going to be. And now we have to try to extricate ourselves from a relationship or a situation or an event And we didn't really research it originally and find out, hey, is that going to fit me? Or am I going to have to become someone I don't want to be? So Proverbs, this is, I like this Proverbs. This this is Proverbs 14, 12. And it says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end leads to death. And see, this is what happened in the garden. They ate of the apple. That's what caused them to start aging. See, they were going to stay just really healthy, cool, wonderful people. 
But because they made a decision that they knew was not right, that's what brought in the aging process. So I want you to think about this idea. When, when we're doing this, this concept of shame, we want to address what is shame? What role does it play in our life? What is healthy shame versus unhealthy shame? Or even toxic shame? And what about the difference between guilt and shame? So what does it mean if I'm a shame-based individual? And we're going to also talk about the causes of shame and the ways to cope with it. And I want you to recognize that we can heal from toxic shame. We can do that. And a lot of it has to do with who we trust. And so am I going to trust my feelings? Or am I going to trust what I know to be true? Am I going to trust this person that consistently criticizes me and so I'm embarrassed and so I try to get you know, that person to remove the shame for me instead of saying, I'm going to set a boundary and I'm not dealing with this. I'm not going to listen to this anymore. You're not allowed to talk to me this way. And so this is how we understand that shame can become very unhealthy, very toxic. It's like, you know, the, the, the indicator lights on the dashboard of your car. So if you just keep looking at one indicator light, you're not going to do well when you're on your way to work. So let's think about this a little bit more. Join me in the next segment as we talk about how shame can be unhealthy or toxic. Good afternoon. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you for tuning in. And if you are just tuning in now, you can always go to your favorite podcast server and listen to the show in its entirety. So today we are talking about shame and that shame is a spiritual crisis. Because when you think about little babies and children, they have no shame. And that's how God wants us to feel is that we have no shame. That doesn't mean that we're perfect. It means that we don't always agree with the feeling of shame. And when I talk to clients, oftentimes I say, you know, do you want to believe that feeling and go with that feeling and let that feeling change the way you think, the way you feel, the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you dress? Or are you going to, to maybe consider, hey, is this feeling real and is it true? And see, I, I talk with clients frequently about this insight that God gave me, that feelings are very real, but not always true. So I have to be very careful about what I believe when it comes to feelings. And so shame is certainly a feeling, and, and what we want to think about is that most emotions are indicators. They're just indicating something. It doesn't mean that it's always true. And so we can see that, that shame is a spiritual crisis because it really attacks my identity. All of a sudden, instead of me being a good person that did a bad thing, I become a person that is bad. And this is imperative for us to recognize that we're not going to agree with that. 
we're not going to agree with that. And that's hard to do because we can be really, really hard on ourselves. So when we think about this, we were talking in the last segment about this particular Bible verse, and this is Proverbs 14, 12. And it says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end leads to death. So we want to think about this, that as, as adults, we really are the parents to ourselves now. We are the parent. And I have to have a healthy parent. I don't want to have a condemning, shaming parent that is constantly calling out everything I do, every foible that I make. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, you want to be very careful about who you're listening to. And we've done shows before on, you know, the triunes, the me, myself, and I. How do I talk to me about myself? And so we want to think about this, this, this issue of shame. So when we go to the other side of the continuum and, it, and we become shameless and practice shamelessness, well, that becomes a true spiritual crisis. Now, it may be a very understandable rebellious move, knowing how much Jesus hates legalism. However, it's not a very smart antidote for all the guilt and condemnation we feel about our, our fallen state. See, the problem with this reaction is that it creates its own form of bondage, especially that of fear. When you shame oneself, when you are ashamed of yourself, this creates tremendous fear. And we're going to talk later on this about, about how this occurs. And it activates the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight, flight, or freeze response to what we perceive as a dangerous situation. So you can see that shame exacerbates everything. See, if I'm afraid, then I'll believe anything someone says to me, even if it's untrue. If they say to me, well, yeah, you deserve that. Look what you did. Or if they say to me, ah, no, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. And you know it's a big deal. You know it's a mistake you need to fix. So shame exacerbates everything. It's like, it's like living life on crack. Now, not that I've ever tried crack, but I've seen individuals struggle with it. And so it changes your entire perception of your life and the world around you. Everything is amplified. Everything is suspect. Everything is untrustworthy. So it counterfeits as freedom, the ultimate freedom. That is no self-control. And we can have a tendency to buy into that and say, that would be so much easier, so much better. Well, maybe easier, but it certainly won't be better. And so we have to think about, it's kind of a different side of the same coin. And the effects are still the same as being shamed or shame-based. So are you, have you integrated shame so that now you are just shame-based, so everything you think about yourself is bad? Or have you seared your conscience and you always think you're good? You think everything is fine. Whatever you do is fine. So these extremes have major control issues. It's either too much or too little. Relationships suffer. Intimacy is nearly impossible because of the lack of authenticity and humility. So we're going to talk more about this in the next session about really how shame affects us and are we integrating shame or are we coming against shame? What is it telling us? 
Well, good afternoon and welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you for joining me. And if you are just tuning in, we are in the last segment of this show. So you can always go to any of your favorite podcast servers and you can download all the shows that are in their entitled Conversations with Cynthia. And so we were talking about this idea that shame is a spiritual crisis. And why would that be? Well, because it stems from identity. So what or where, who do you get your identity from? Is it money? Is it looks? Who you know? What you own? See, oftentimes shame is a numbers game. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's about maybe the numbers on your bathroom scale. Maybe it's the address or the zip code of your home. Obviously, maybe it's your bank accounts, your car, how many cars you own, what your wedding ring is worth, how many credentials you have after your name. How about social media? Of course. And so when we understand that shame is not intended to address identity, shame is an indicator like many of the other emotions that we have. And so if I'm feeling shame and that it's indicating, I'm feeling that indicator, then I have to step back and say, Did I, is that shame true? Do I need to address that, that maybe I did do something shameful? Maybe I thought something shameful, I thought, or I said something shameful, I went against my own value system. And so it's a good thing if your heart, your, your body, your gut, your brain is kind of like lighting up saying, that is bad, you should not be doing that. So you see that our conscience is directly affected by shame. And if we are unwilling to accept shame, then we're going to have a bigger problem. Because now we're losing the ability to understand who we are in the moment. And so that doesn't mean, like I said in the last segment, that we believe everything we feel. We have lots of feelings, and many I tell clients all the time, Feelings are very real, they're just not always true. So we have to find out if they're true. And I've talked a lot about that on this show when I give you the example of women that struggle with anorexia. They are sure they are fat, and if we don't get any kind of food in them, they're going to die. So the feeling is real, but it doesn't necessarily make it true. So what is shame? What role does it play in our life? Well, healthy shame, which is what we want, is the idea or the concept of you don't walk out of your house naked and go to work naked, right? And so you're going to feel embarrassed. You're going to feel shame. Well, that's a good indicator. So healthy shame versus unhealthy shame, okay? Healthy shame tells us to stop. Healthy shame says, hey, pull it back in, or you're going too far. Or you might need to put more clothing on. Or you might need to, I don't know, wear less makeup. To whatever the, the, the situation that you are in. And so shame helps us to say, I, you know, if I'm going to be in this group, I might have to adjust some. Because I don't want to offend a whole bunch of other people simply because I have a right to look or talk or say whatever I want. And so this means that if you're a shame-based individual, and this is, this is sad, this is hard, shame-based people that have accepted it and agree with the shame, they think they're a bad person, they think they're not worth anything, they think that they're the dregs of society. Well, then you know what happens? It gives them freedom 
to do anything because they don't care that they're shameful. They don't care. And so we want people to have a healthy conscience and we want them to hear the indicators that say, hey, you might want to reel that in. You might want to, I don't know, soften it up a little bit. And so this is where we get this beautiful verse. It's Romans um, 8.1. And it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean? Well, the same way that maybe your parents cover your mistakes, like when I was in high school, I, you know, crashed a car. And so my dad didn't kick me out of the family, right? And he didn't say, you will never have a car again. He just said, well, we need to fix it. And I, I thought, wow, I thought I was going to be in so much trouble. I thought he might ground me for the rest of my life. And what I found is that my father said, well, in his mind, he's like, this is a teaching moment. So what we need to do is fix it. And that may mean that a lot of her allowance goes to fixing the car. And so this is where we understand that the practice of shameless, shamelessness is very understandable as a rebellious move. However, it's not a very smart antidote for all the guilt and condemnation we feel because the problem with this quote-unquote reaction is that it creates its own form of bondage, especially that of fear, because humans, mammals, know what's right and wrong. See, our cat knows what's right or wrong in our house. Now, she may have had to be taught that, but she knows what she's supposed to do and what she's not supposed to do. So we want to think about this legalism or hypermoralism is the kind of like the, the, the same side of a different coin when it comes to shamelessness. That's hardcore judgment. And that doesn't cause us to, to want to aspire to be the people that God has called us to be. When we are being judged, we're going to want to go back to shameless, that we don't care anymore. And so the, the lack of self-respect that manifests, what happens is we get more pride and entitlement because we're trying to feel better. And we don't know what to do with the shame that we have. And so when pride is paradoxically paired with a low sense of self-worth, what happens? It becomes vain, it becomes fragile and self-serving. The opposite is seen in Christ's life. He was very proud of who he was. So his actions personified this. He did not apologize for who he was, and he never betrayed who he was. With bad behaviors and attitudes that did not match his authentic self, he could have done anything he wanted to do. So we see the tremendous dignity that he possessed as those around him never losing sight of who he was and why he was here. Humili they humiliated him relentlessly, but he did not lose sight of the goal. See, we don't want to have pride without authenticity. I can be proud of a lot of things that I've accomplished in my life, but the authentic part of, of being proud in that way is that I know the backstory. I know who, who helped me. I know who cheered me on. I know who called me, you know, called me out when they needed to. And so there was people that helped me achieve many of these things. And both ends of the continuum result in this disconnect from God. So not a lack of love from God, but what happens is we have an inability to experience him. That's what happened with Satan. He thought he was better than God. So when we talk about this as a spiritual crisis, 
we see that it first was experienced by Adam and Eve, and this is because they were created, and then there's this separation or disconnect from their own authenticity and their connection to God. Well, who gave them that new perception? Satan. And this is where you have to remember, this is why God calls us his children. We're never going to be an adult with God. (laughs) We're not a contemporary. We're his kids. So he has great understanding about how hard this world is and how easily we can fall into believing something that someone's told us. And this is what this is what happened to Adam and Eve. Satan came and said, hey, he just doesn't want you to be as good as he is. God just doesn't want you to be as like what he can be. That's why he doesn't want you to eat of the apple. And we know that's a lie. So think about this. When, when we see that there's a covering, see, Covering, this is in Romans 4, 7. It says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Well, what we see here is that covering provides privacy. And the privacy is getting my act together so I don't have to do it in front of everybody. Secrets provide shame. And there's a big distinction between secrecy and privacy. When we're in shame-based families with many secrets and abuse, we find that we might want to hide a lot. We also find that we're not allowed privacy. And when people are not allowed privacy, they become secretive. Like they hide things, you know, young young people hide things in their bedroom, you know, because they're not allowed to talk about maybe something they're feeling or needing or wanting. So they're going to get it in their own way. So when we look at the different types of shame, what we see is a man's solution to shame. So this is the idea of shameless or shamelessness. See, I'm just going to be bold and not care. This is important to look at this because it's so prevalent and seems like such a viable solution to our society that I don't want you to be enamored or deceived into believing that this is a possible antidote for feeling bad about who you are. What we find and and what we've seen is that humans need to be seen. And so they will do all kinds of things to be seen, to feel relevant, even if what they're being seen for is embarrassing. And so we want to ask ourselves, see, our culture typically responds to pain and hurt and injury and dysfunction by creating parodies, all the while finding humor in tragedy and abuse. And thus what happens is we minimize and we justify and rationalize something harmful versus having an appropriate response. See, we now become shameless about being shameless. And that's very serious. It's a great defense mechanism. You know, I I employ it (laughs) sometimes more frequently than I want to admit. But think about the current, you know, that, that television show series called Shameless. It's a great example. I thought as I looked at the season teaser, they really understand shameless. The behaviors and the subsequent consequences that come from it. Sadly, it's now entertainment and something to be emulated or revered. So this is where we want to think about that idea of shame. If we don't understand what shame means, shame is simply an indicator to say you're going too far. And if we don't recognize the indicator, then we end up shaming others. See, our shameless acts affect other people in that they have some, you know, somehow found a way to get rid of that shame. And so they're going to wear what you have done. 
If they see it, then they wear it, and they have to figure out how to get away from it. So what we want to do is not, you know, harm people for it. We don't want to judge people for it. We just want to say, wow, why would they act that way? And I can give them a silent prayer and say, God, oh, I don't want them to act shamefully like that. They're going to feel worse when they get home. And it causes us to do more. And so I want you to think about this idea of, the, of shame basically says, if I'm shameful, then I want to say to myself, that doesn't make me a bad person. It means that I have, wow, I have that internal trigger that's going to say, ah, you're going a little too far. You might want to reel it back in a little bit. And it also then is going to help me tremendously to be able to go to God and just talk about the truth and just say to God, hey, this is what I did. I know you know because you see everything, but I need to say to you that I see it too. And I know I need to change it, and I don't know how. And I don't know if I have the strength. So thank you so much for listening today. And I'm praying for all of you. And this is a common thing for all of us as humans. So I'm proud of you that you would listen to the show and you would start to try these. Have a great rest of your week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach you, the listener, with ideas and insights on how you may not only improve your life, but have more successful and meaningful relationships as you become the best version of you. Cynthia is available as a keynote speaker or guest speaker for your corporate or spiritual events. Cynthia is able to customize a message for any audience attending a meeting, retreat, or conference. In addition to this, she oftentimes partners her messages with music as she is a singer and musician. Please contact her through her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can download the most current show from her website at CynthiaHyatt.com or hear a replay on your favorite podcast server. Please take a moment to visit her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated and leave your ideas and comments about today's show. Now, be your own best version. Be my heart, my